CBDC. The Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Startup Women podcast. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. You're listening to the Startup Women Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. On the Startup Women Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and all of the support that you need to make your vision a reality faster. This podcast is a production of Startup Canada, Canada's entrepreneurship organization and is presented in partnership with the Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO at Startup Canada. Welcome to the show. We are thrilled to have Wanda Deschamps on our show today. Wanda is the founder and principal of Liberty Co., a consultancy focused on increasing the participation level of the neurodiverse population in the workforce, with a special emphasis on autism due to Wanda's own diagnosis at midlife. A champion for inclusion, she enjoys writing and speaking under the banner of the hashtag Inclusion Revolution, a worldwide movement launched in 2018 to spearhead broader thinking about disability, especially disability employment. Wanda is also the catalyst behind the Women for Women Collective, focused on gender equality through supporting other women. Combining these two goals provides an avenue for Wanda to be an advocate for women with autism, including as a participant in research into autistic women's experiences in the workplace. Welcome to the show, Wanda. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm so excited to dive into today's conversation. So let's just jump right in. Uh, What is the most important thing that you want our audience to take away from our conversation today, Wanda? Two things, if I may. One, that disability is a dimension of diversity. And within that, neurodiversity is a dimension of diversity. Mm, Amazing. So walk us on your entrepreneurial journey a little bit. How did you start Liberty Co? How did it come to be? Um, And what kind of impact is the consultancy firm having on Canada's workforce today? Liberty Co came to be because I thought that I would provide, be providing services for the charitable sector. So in terms of building capacity, especially fundraising capacity, because my background up to 2018, 2019 was the charitable sector. I was in the field for 25 years. And then what happened was at the same time I was opening Liberty Co, I was becoming more involved in autism advocacy. And as you mentioned, in the introduction, your very generous introduction, a large part of that 
was steered because of my own diagnosis of autism at midlife. So mm-hmm. imagine a split screen. I'm opening Liberty Co. I believe it's to service the charitable sector. And at the same time, I'm becoming more involved in autism advocacy and participating in autism research. And then what happened was I began to share more and more of my story and I realized that I was going to move in a different direction and that Liberty Co. was going to focus on neurodiversity and specifically options for neurodiverse employment. What impact is Liberty Co. having? Well, we are increasing the profile of neurodiversity, specifically autism, and that their skills and talents in the autistic population and the neurodiverse population that are going largely untapped and that we have an opportunity to change that. Hmm. And what does that look like in Canada at the moment? Do you have any stats that sort of speak to this gap in the workforce or missed opportunities um, around bringing you know, more diversity into the workforce from this perspective, not just in um, you know, the way that we're, we're sort of traditionally or um, topically having conversations around diversity and inclusion that are stemmed in 2021? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So big picture, there's 1.3 billion people around the world with disabilities. There's 6.2 million in Canada, and there's 1.8 million in Ontario. And approximately half a million persons with disabilities in Canada are searching for employment right now. And estimates, and please know that autism is underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed. Look at me. I was diagnosed one month before my 47th birthday, and there's all kinds of Wanda's out there we have reason to believe. So please know that, you know, neurodiversity is underdiagnosed, it's misdiagnosed, especially in women, autism is, and that disabilities are underdiagnosed and misdiagnosed, and that disabilities are growing for such reasons as our aging population and, mm-hmm. and increased research in the area. But the employment picture is generally a grim one. Mm -hmm. So the neurodiverse population remains largely unemployed and underemployed, as does the autistic population, as does the wider disability population. And then when you add an intersectional lens to that, so you consider race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, it becomes a grimmer picture yet again. So, for instance, black women with disabilities experience barriers in the workplace that, for instance, white women with disabilities do not. So these are all the things that Liberty Co. is looking at and is working to help change, Um, again, with a special emphasis on neurodiversity and within that autism, because that's what I know the best. And for our audience, what do you describe neurodiversity as? What is that definition capturing um, for anyone who's never heard of this term that's listening today? Yeah, so that's about differences in human brain makeups. And it was a term coined by Australian sociologist Judy Singer in the 1990s. And it's an avenue for looking at those differences in a more positive way. So moving away from the medical model that neurodiversity is bad and something that needs to be cured and more about 
what do these differences actually mean and what strengths do the neurodiverse population have? Mm -hmm. And so those strengths can be played to, including they can be played to in the workplace. There's so much more I could say. Those differences include autism, ADHD, dyslexia, and other forms of neurodiversity that might not be as well known to our listeners. So for instance, dyscalculia, there's so much more I could say. It's, it's a huge topic, but I, I hope that those are some helpful points. Mm. And, and would it be appropriate to say that within all of those different um, uh, titles that, that you've just mentioned or names, that there's a spectrum within each of those, that, that there's neurodiversity within those elements of neurodiversity? Is that the right way to, to sort of process that? The spectrum is so long. So whenever I speak, I say that these differences present often in the form of interpersonal communication, so variances from the mainstream, and and communication generally, or perhaps it might be helpful to say interpersonal relations and communications, so differences from the mainstream. However, Saying differences from the mainstream is, again, a very, very large concept. And so you could meet someone else with autism, a woman with autism, even my age, even another white woman with autism. We could be very, very different. Mm. So that is a great point. We want people to know that. We want to know the the age-old saying, you meet one person with autism, you meet one person with autism. That's what it's mm. meant. And right across mm-hmm. the neurodiverse population. So if it's roughly 15% of the overall population, the neurodiverse population within that ADHD and autism, appreciate what kind of diversity that you could be considering within you know, 15% of the overall population is significant. So within Canada, that's millions of people. And yes, you're going to see lots of differences, even within a population that is understood as having a different brain makeup from the mainstream. This is so fascinating, Wanda. And just just those stats, I think, are really helpful for both me and I think for our audience to to really wrap our, our minds around, um, you know, how many people who, who are already in the workforce or potentially underemployed, unemployed, um, need to be served by our openness to having both these conversations, um, but space for neurodiversity in the workplace and, you know, within the entrepreneurship ecosystem as a whole. This is a huge community that, you know, we're, we're not actively engaging um, in the same way, you know, when we're talking about diversity and, and so much of the, the conversations we'd have over the last year, I personally have not been including disability or, you know, different accessibility conversations at the top of, of those conversations in the same way. Does that make sense? Like, I, it's, it's such an interesting, um, almost bias that I think I've also been aware of for myself. Well, you're not alone if that makes you feel better. So that's why when you asked at the top, what would I like people to take away? And right away I said that disability is a form of diversity. And that's very purposeful because we're still not yet at a point that we think of disability in that way. Mm -hmm. So if you ask folks, you know, say at the start of an idea workshop, inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility, Folks, what do you think of when you think diversity? So many people would say race, ethnicity, Mm -hmm. gender, sexual orientation. They wouldn't necessarily say disability. 
And so you're not alone at all. And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And then Mm -hmm. another piece, if we just take it a little bit further, that we're missing when we don't attach disability as a form of diversity is that we're missing that intersectional piece. Mm -hmm. So for instance, black women with disabilities, gay men with disabilities, These are all really important considerations and not that numbers drive everything. And I'm not saying that numbers should drive all decision making or however, when you consider those numbers, 1.3 billion worldwide, 6.2 million in Canada and 1.8 million in Ontario, persons with disabilities. These are staggering numbers. So the good news is that there's an opportunity to do lots. Agreed. And so with, um, you know, asking maybe a targeted question around what founders and their organizations can do right now to address neurodiversity um, and and make both considerations and actions to ensure that they are both creating the supporting conditions for neurodiverse, um, you know, staff or, you know, other co-founders as they build their businesses. Um, And then practically day to day, how do we even what is the first step that we even take to creating um, these conditions that support this audience group? What what sort of ideas or, or recommendations do you have for somebody just exploring, um, you know, that initial step that they're supposed to be taking? Well, number one, it's subscribing to IDEA. So we hear a lot about IDE, inclusion, diversity, equity. We hear a lot about DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. Add an A. So whenever... I'm asked for feedback and advice whenever I speak, whenever I write, I mention idea. So is A there, that A for accessibility, again, that 1.3 billion worldwide. Mm -hmm. So number one, if you work in DEI or IDE, if you write, if you speak, if you have programs, if you are involved in policy making, add an A. That, that's really helpful, that filter, number one. Number two, it's always considering. So if you're a founder and this is just very, you know, general and, and it's just an idea, it's nothing specific, but if you're a founder and you're working on something and you have a group, you have a committee, people are saying, okay, diversity is really important, equity is really important, inclusion, race, ethnicity, gender, sexual orientation, do we have representation from different groups? It's a matter of adding persons with disabilities disabilities. So if you're talking about race, excellent. If you're talking about sexual orientation, if you're talking about gender, ethnicity, if you're talking about citizenship status, making sure that you have newcomers and immigrants and not just people from Canada, not just people from the Western region or the Eastern region or the Maritimes. So you're looking across the board. Okay, that's great. Have you added disabilities? And then again, the intersectional lens, because no one's just one aspect of their identity. So a person with a disability is more than that. Are they a man? Are they a woman? Are they non-binary? Are they gay? Are they straight? Okay, so within persons with disabilities, do you have some diversity as well outside simply white, for instance, men straight with disabilities? So there's so much more I could say, and, and it's a big topic. Those are some things that, you know what, if everyone did them, if everyone started, if everyone made it an attempt, think of what a difference that would make. Mm-hmm. 
clearly, you know, Wanda, you are deeply involved and passionate about this fight to end the stigma around neurodiversity um, and being so active in campaigns like the hashtag inclusion revolution. Um, so let's address this topic a little bit more directly for our listeners. Because I am learning a lot here, Wanda, and I'm sure that the listeners are too. Um, what are some of the preconceived biases that exist now in the workplace surrounding neurodiverse employees? Walk us through what that looks like. There's so many. Mm-hmm. That it's a male condition. So, for instance, autism has been researched from the perspective of a white man. So, it's still diagnosed four to five times more in boys and men than it is women. And, you know, media portrayals have not helped. Mm. So, media portrayals of, say, autism have been Rain Man. They have not considered girls and women. It's starting to change, and that's great to see. Another is rather extreme that we are savants, that we're all geniuses, that we're all great in math, that we're all proficient in technology. Again, back to the top of our conversation saying members of the neurodiverse population want to be recognized for their own uniqueness No one wants to be recognized as just, oh, I'm a massivant, especially when it's not true. And I can tell you I am not a massivant and I am not a technology savant. I'm Wanda. Another really, really damaging stigma is that we don't want to work or that we can't work. Mm. We can work. And we have skills and talents just like the mainstream in the sense that we can work, we want to work. Of course, again, back to that individual uniqueness. Everyone in the workforce, their strengths need to be played to and and everyone needs coaching and everyone needs support. We need support in some ways that might come down to interpersonal relations and communications because this is a place where our differences can show. There's so many more I could say, you know, but they really focus on on gender, on a really narrow view of neurodiversity and that and like generally persons with disabilities, this view that, you know, we can't work or that we don't want to work. And it's, it's absolutely not true. We want to be contributing citizens just like anybody else. Mm. Mm-hmm. And how, wh- how do you see neurodiversity as a workforce asset? How do you position those opportunities that employers may not have considered before? Well, I'm going to take something that I just said and I'm going to flip it. Yeah. <laughs> so because we sometimes need help and supports and accommodations around interpersonal relations and communications, that can also lead to a strength. It means that we see things in different ways. Mm. We sometimes see things that others don't. Mm -hmm. Again, back to that different brain makeup. Mm. So that can be a strength. It can lead to innovative thinking. It can lead to filling gaps where gaps might be otherwise. It can lead to pattern recognition Mm. because Again, different brains. We may see patterns that others don't. It's about diversity of thought, diversity of expression, diversity of processing. 
Again, these are all huge topics. Each one could be a podcast interview in and of itself. I'm speaking in generalities here, and I hope our listeners appreciate that. However, I always come with all kinds of resources and links that people can go to if they're interested in learning more. But the bottom line is what has been viewed traditionally as let's have people thinking the same way is now being opened up and reassessed to mm, let's help have a bunch of different people thinking differently. And for instance, McKenzie and the big firms that issue reports say that um, diversity actually is a competitive advantage mm-hmm. and that organizations that have lots of diversity can actually outperform their peers. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think the the diversity of perspective um, is something that we you know we talk to startups and talk to entrepreneurs about all the time. That you know you need to have that diversity of perspective. Um, but I love you know that we're putting a fine tooth comb. Having a neurodiverse perspective also can bring so much more um, you know into these conversations and um, you know potentially. I love this pattern recognition component or you know just just thinking differently. Um, that that's what entrepreneurship is all about <laughs> in so many mm-hmm. ways. That the, the match is is right there. Um, and when you look at, you know, employers that are trying to better address, you know, talent attraction or bringing in neurodiverse talent um, and retaining neurodiverse uh, employees into their organizations, um, what advice do you have for those employers outside of, um, you know, just putting a paragraph saying that, you know, you're an open employer, you know, that everyone sort of has these days? How do you actually walk that walk? Yes. Well, you just hit on one, and that is it goes beyond in your job posting saying we're an equal opportunity mm-hmm. employer. Mm-hmm. Okay. Why not actually say neurodiversity in job posting? Mm. So we are an equal opportunity employer. We're looking for diversity across our workforce included in that is neurodiversity. Why not do that? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's other things too that you can accidentally be this, what would the word be? Would, would accidentally establishing a barrier mm. to to neurodiverse applicants, just because if you talk in generalities and you don't talk in specifics about what the job is mm. and what the outcomes are. So, for instance, traditional interviews have not necessarily shown the candidates what the job entails. And it hasn't necessarily shown the employer how the candidate will perform. Mm -hmm. It shows what a person's like in a job interview. In an interview. That's that's very (laughs) different. Okay, again, thinking back to our differences around interpersonal relations, perhaps, and communications. So you have a traditional interview and everything seems fine. But then what what if there's challenges on the job? Those would not have come up for discussion necessarily in the interview they wouldn't have necessarily come through you can have a a neurodiverse applicant who's outstanding in an interview okay so really go back to your postings take a look at your hiring some neurodiverse candidates who are outstanding on the job would not necessarily shine in an interview Mm -hmm. and so that's an area that's receiving attention as well giving someone the supports, the accommodations they need, it might be in the form of translation. Mm. So a buddy who's assigned to help the person so that 
what they are saying, what your new hire is saying is coming across, and what's being communicated is coming across, clearly as well in the form of two-way communication. I can't help but touch on retention. You raised mm -hmm. it. It is such an excellent point. In terms of diversity, you'll find the emphasis is on recruitment. Hmm. it's not on retention. Mm -hmm. And I'm not just talking about neurodiversity in terms of diversity hiring. I am talking about whether it's gender, whether it's it's women who come into male-dominated workplaces and then it doesn't work out and people wonder why. The emphasis was not placed on retention. Mm -hmm. It was placed on recruitment. It, people didn't look at are we tearing down all those male-dominated structures for this woman to succeed? It's like black community members or indigenous peoples not flourishing. Well, the workplace was racist. But all we did was bring in indigenous people to a white colonial work environment. So the bottom line is that what is good for neurodiverse employees is good for everyone. More open communication, open trusting communication. If we can think of, you know, not just an accommodation for one person or group, but that these accommodations are good for everyone, then we'll see, we'll see improvement. We'll see positivity. We'll see all of these across the board. That That is another post-it moment. What is good for neurodiverse employees is good for all employees. I love that. That um, Yeah, and I think that's potentially, you know, a, a, a moment for many employers to think, you know, how do I make an individual accommodation for this one person to, you know, really make their experience as an individual, um, you know, potentially more positive. But that's not the point here, I think, is, is what you're saying. You know, we need to be considering the bigger picture and these structures um, that can accommodate more more neurodiverse employees, more diverse employees in general uh, for the long term. That it, that also inherently becomes a little bit tokenist if, if you're, um, you know, making extreme, um, you know, accommodations for that one entity. That's not really solving a bigger a bigger problem and and um, a missed opportunity to create more open spaces. That's right. That's right. Interesting. This is so helpful, Wanda. I'm, my, my, my notebook is filling and my brain is churning in so many ways. Uh, so I, you know, we're just covering the surface here and I can certainly appreciate you're giving us a bit of a crash course. Uh, but what other resources and tools um, can we as both employers, as founders, um, as team members, where can we look to educate ourselves and to, to continue this conversation with ourselves and our teams? What other resources would you point us to? Well, you can follow the Inclusion Revolution, mm -hmm. and that is the worldwide movement founded by Caroline Casey and Paul Pullman, and that is about changing the employment landscape for the 1.3 billion of us around the world with disabilities. The vast majority are unemployed or underemployed. Mm -hmm. So follow the hashtag Inclusion Revolution. Casey and Pullman also, as part of that, launched the Valuable 500. And that's about getting 500 of the world's largest companies on side and mm. committed to making disability employment agenda item at the decision-making levels, the highest decision-making levels of the organizations. So do that. Um, look for anything related to neurodiversity and you know I always make a special plug for autism because mm -hmm. that's what I'm closest to so look for research whether it's the Harvard Business Review or Fortune or 
other leading organizations, what are they saying around neurodiversity? Within Canada, I'd like to mention the Diversity Institute mm-hmm. out of Ryerson. Wendy Sukier, the founder, talks about ADHD as the entrepreneur's superpower. Mm-hmm. These are just some. There's so many more. But go to your computer, Google neurodiversity, neurodiversity employment, autism employment, see what comes up, and then decide what resonates with you. Mm. And then, you know, I am particularly passionate about gender as it intersects with neurodiversity. And you mentioned that in your introduction. Mm. So that's something I pay a lot of attention to. Amazing. Yeah, I think that curiosity is is so important that, you know, some of these topics can be hard for us to be, um, you know, courageously aware of that, you know, this might be something people are uncomfortable conceptualizing or integrating. Um, But having that curiosity and taking that time to become more familiar with it is also, I think, a really great first step um, that uh, that raises that awareness piece and that consideration component that, that we were discussing earlier. That's right. Amazing. So Wanda, final takeaway for our audience. Um, Anything that you'd like to leave them with? Any pieces of advice you wish you had told your younger self? Um, What would you like to leave our audience with today? Believe in yourself. Mm. Whenever I'm asked, that's what I say. Believe. I doubted myself. And for people who knew me, who knew me growing up, knew me as an adult, knew me when I was entering my career, even when I was established in my career, outwardly, I came across as if I had a lot of confidence. There's a big difference between outward and inward. And I didn't know myself. And a large part of that was that I didn't have my diagnosis. And a month before my 47th birthday, I got that. So believing yourself as much as you can come to a level of self awareness, and focus on self-esteem not as much outward confidence outward confidence is important it can be really helpful it can also be really deceiving Hmm. and finally what I say when people ask is this realistic can we bring our neurodiverse population into fuller participation in our workforce what I say is we can if we drop our judgments So if you're going to come to work, if you're going to come to your startup, your firm, with the same judgments that you've come with for however many years, if we're going to continue with these colonialist structures, then we're going to have the same outcomes. Mm -hmm. However, if we're willing to drop our judgments, and as much as we can our own biases, and I have my own biases as well, if we can drop them as much as possible, then we are going to have a much more dynamic, vibrant, healthier, and productive workforce. A fantastic note to end on, Wanda. This has been such an engaging conversation. Thank you so much for sharing um, about Liberty Co. and about all of the work that you're doing um, around this inclusion revolution and, and sharing this with our audience today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Women Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs to start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, VDC, and Scotiabank for helping us to power women entrepreneurs. 
Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook, Resources for Women Entrepreneurs, with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast, hosted by Rick Spence, and plug into the Startup Canada network. Until next time, I'm Kayla Isabel. It's time to choose to challenge the status quo and unleash the economic potential of women.